Hi, you're listening to Celluloid Cards Wallop with James and Gemma. Sit down and enjoy yourself, grab a snack and have some fun. And welcome to this week's Celluloid Codswallop, the corner of talking Codswallop where we discuss film, TV, music and everything else that comes in between. And this week I am incredibly lucky, and I do mean incredibly lucky, to be joined by uh, the creator and leader of the Q the Music Group, uh, Warren Ringham. Uh, Warren, thank you for coming and taking the time to come on to uh, Celluloid Codswallop. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that intro. I don't know about incredibly lucky. It must have been, uh, you must have not had a very busy day. <laughs> <laughs> now, to give some, uh, to some backstory of how I, uh, how I became aware of Cue the Music and the work that Warren does, it would have been last year, Warren may or may not remember, well, remember the gig, uh, but he was playing Leeds um, and it was an, it was exceptional uh, concert uh, that we went to where he's playing all the different music from the Bond series and prior to this if you go back to the back catalogue of Soul Like Codwell, I was very lucky enough to interview uh, Karine Bliss who was the compare for the evening um, and it was just a really really good event and I I'm doubt, I doubt you'll remember this Warren but I did say to you when I came out that I've seen the Halle uh, perform Bond stuff but they are not a patch on what you do and i mean that uh absolutely sincerely oh wow i mean you know that that's a comment that we do get now and again and and it it always it always kind of sticks in the head because it's just an amazingly flattering comment you know and i think it's it just comes down to the um passion and and the love of bond that we have and i think that's why it's just purely comes down to that i mean a lot of those orchestras and that you know and i've I've obviously performed um, with a number of the professional provincial orchestras as a as a freelance trumpet player. But, you know, a lot of the time those guys, it's another concert, you know, the night before they might be doing Beethoven, the night after they might be doing Mahler. But this is really what we do. And we've been doing it for 16 years now and uh, we specialize in it and make it our our goal, our, our mission to be the best that we possibly can and go to the absolute minute detail that nobody else would have the time or probably even energy and enthusiasm to go to the detail that we do. It probably just wouldn't be worth their while, but I think that's probably why. Okay. I mean, it is it's just wonderful stuff. Now, one of the things I always like to ask people who I uh, interview for for the podcast is I like to sort of backtrack a bit. So could you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, you know, where you grew up, uh, schooling, things like that, please? Yeah, sure. So I'm from, um, well, from Middlesex, really, which is kind of border between Surrey and outskirts of London. And I was born into a very musical family. Um going back a few generations my family have got a steep history of um, professional brass playing Um, my great aunt Maisie talking about the Halle uh, she was the first ever professional female 
brass player i think was certainly trombone player to hold uh, to hold a professional position in orchestra and she was principal trombone of the halle back in the 50s and uh, under sir john barbaroli and and just really 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 well known in the music world as just a phenomenal trombone player um, and then my father equally well known as the uh, co-principal trumpet of the royal philharmonic orchestra before that he was co-principal of the bbc symphony orchestra and the bournemouth symphony orchestra before that um, and had a really fantastic reputation uh, in the brass world particularly in the british scene anyway of of being a, a fantastic trumpet player and 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 there were a number of other musicians in my family as well um a, a wonderful um pianist nan grandmother my my dad's mum basically she was a a fantastic pianist and accompanist and and a teacher of many 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 piano players over the years um and so i i just grew up with music all around me and it was just that was sort of always my destiny i think to to go into music so um i mean i've nobody ever asked me about school i i went to i didn't particularly do anything particularly interesting at school i, I went to uh a school called Bishop Wand, and then I went on to a very, very good sixth form college called Woking, uh, or in Woking, in Surrey, Woking Sixth Form College, where they had a fantastic music department, really, really great. And that really kind of helped me uh, on my journey, which was then on to the Royal College of Music, um, where I did four years, did a music degree there. That's probably one of the leading musical educational institutes in the world, really. Um, so many phenomenal musicians of you know world famous musicians have come through there so um yeah it was always my destiny to go into music i always wanted to do that from the minute i took it up when i was about nine i think i just got fed up of hearing my dad practicing all day every day and and uh, i think I, I was on holiday i can still remember where i was, I was on holiday when i first took the trumpet off him and um and started to learn and actually really uh, quite rapidly progressed and i think that after about three weeks four weeks um i came back and my parents got me straight into like a local youth band which was quite you know quite rapid really i mean normally you'd take a bit longer but i remember i was in there very early and i remember one of the first things that i ever played was the theme from mash yeah. <laughs> yeah. a very basic level of course um and there was other things I can't remember that. I, I remember there was two pieces really early on that we played and they were both TV slash film things. And I know that MASH was one and I can never remember what the other one was. But the point being was that from such an early stage to play stuff that you knew from TV and, and you know, playing stuff from films and quite quickly over the years, I was playing things from Star Wars and Indiana Jones and things like that. And I very quickly became hooked on this ability to be able to play music that I was hearing on the TV because I, like every other child going through the eighties, you know, I absolutely loved that era of all those kind of fantastic, not only TV shows, but things like the A-Team and Knight Rider and all of those things, but the films at the time, you know, you had such great, great sort of um, action flicks that was that become so iconic like star wars and indiana jones and the bond films and everything else and um so i got i got really into the into the fact that i was able to perform music that i was really into at home as a child uh, so that kind of gave me such a massive passion and a massive love 
for it because I was kind of, you know, I was, I kind of felt like I was involved in it in a kind of warped way. So um, that's kind of how I really got into it. And it's, I mean, to say that music was in your blood is the absolute, like, you know, understatement of the century sort of thing. So obviously, you know, from what you told me, you, you music was something that you saw you wanted to go into from a young age. But did you ever have a period where you maybe thought this isn't what I want to do? This is what the family does. Did you ever feel you wanted to maybe rebel against it? Or was it always something that you embraced wholeheartedly? Um, the, the, the kind of round answer is, uh, I've never, ever thought I was going to do anything else. Obviously there's little ways, there's little bumps in the road along the way where you kind of, you know, playing in a playing musical instrument, like any other sport or anything like that, where it takes such a dedication over so many years. I mean, to progress, to be able to play professionally, you really have got to have such dedication and determination and uh, resilience, really, because, I mean, when I was at music college, I was and even since, you know, when I left, when I first went into profession, I was probably practicing anything from three to four hours a day um, every single day. And, and that kind of discipline came to me from my dad because like I kind of intimated earlier on in the conversation when I first picked up the trumpet it was on holiday and that was because my dad used to take his trumpet on holiday and he used to practice I could still remember we used to have a, a, a family apartment in in Mallorca in Alcudia and he used to be on the balcony with his back to the sun practicing whilst we the rest of the family were down in the pool you know, as a mm. kid playing in the pool and stuff like that. And you'd look up and he'd be on the balcony with a with a mute in. So you couldn't hear what he was playing. But, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't like he was disturbing the whole island. But, <laughs> you know, he was there practicing and that would be three, four five hours every single day. Um, so that kind of discipline is is really, really hard to maintain because there are times when you just want to go out. You know, you just want to go and have fun. And yeah. I was always kind of the. um the odd one out in school, particularly in my secondary school and, and middle school, because I had this um, devotion to the trumpet and I, I was always kind of, that was always going to be kind of my thing. And I was always playing in, in groups and, and going away and doing tours and things like that with youth, with youth bands. And none of my kind of uh, friends at school could really understand that. You know, I was the, the weird one that, that, didn't really get involved in the social things outside of school and didn't really go to many of the party stuff because I was off doing uh, music and I wouldn't change any of that for the world. But of course it didn't, it did have its bumps along the road when there were days when you just think, Oh, I just want to sit down and watch TV tonight. I don't want to play. And you can't do that. You have to, Hmm. you have to sort of uh, stay the course. And what people you mentioned something like, with the way you say, you know, your peers at school would maybe not completely understand it. Did you ever have any issues with the way they interacted you with you on it? Or generally, did you have a very good friend group who were very understanding and supportive of you uh, and your passion? Oh, no, I, it was it was awful, actually. It really was. I was bullied at school. Um, I'm not saying it was necessary just because of that, but you know mm. I, I, it wasn't till i really got to that woking um music college with sick form college sorry that i really uh was was at home and, and was amongst 
like-minded people and i actually had a really really good group of friends that i associated with because really at school in the whole of my secondary school there was myself and one other who were what i would class as musicians you know that were trying mm. that really i mean people played the recorder or piano to a very low level or whatever but there was one other girl who was a you know it was a reasonable clarinet player she she you know i'm not being disparaging of her she you know she didn't really do anything with it i I think but she just got she just got good at it from doing it um but she never had the kind of interest in it that i did but really apart from her um i was the only person in the whole of the school that that um had that and i don't think anybody else could really understand it and so no i i I was a bit of an outcast at school and um you know it was it was it was hard times but when i went to sixth form college that that say that really really changed and it it, it, i'm really glad that i stuck that out i've i think there's two types of people isn't there? i think you can either be a follower or a leader and i'm not saying that i lead people but i was never going to just follow what everybody else did i wanted to do what i wanted to do um and if that meant that i wouldn't be popular with other people at school because of it that that didn't worry me I, I i loved i loved what i was doing outside of school and i had all my friends in the bands and stuff that i was in i mean you know that the thing is old american pie the, the the hollywood film has a lot to answer for mm-hmm. because it it kind of that whole band camp thing gave a a, a sort of put a stigma um a, attached to the whole kind of thing of growing up in school bands and stuff like that but I can tell you it was the most fantastic experience growing up. You know, I went, I did so many tours overseas, France and Italy, um, Spain, you know, lots and lots of times where I went away as a group of kids um, on a coach, you know, touring around, doing concerts. It was phenomenal times, you know, and I learned so much about life on there and, and birds and the bees and, <laughs> and all that sort of thing, you know, Um and so it was it, it was just a fantastic experience so although it was it was tough in school what i had outside and, and what music was bringing me even as a child um made up more than made up for that and it it never dissuaded me from what i wanted to do well the wonderful takeaway from it is that obviously you're saying that you know there may have been the bumps in the road with the way people were at school but it toughened your resolve and it gave you you know the ability to go forth, go into doing, into playing uh, at that younger age uh, and actually seeing the world and getting to experience things that nobody else would have done at that age or very few people would have done at that age. Uh, and that's quite a thing, you know, that, that that's a wonderful, brilliant thing that's happened, you know, that happened yeah. to you with that. So it's seeing the, um, you've taken what could, what many people would see as, a, you know, adversity and issue and you've made it, in, you made it in something positive. Oh, definitely. Uh, I think it also taught me, it, it gave me a lot of um, direction in terms of my leadership of running something like Cue the Music and, and other things that I've done. A lot of things where I've I've set things up and, and kind of taken the ball by the horns because I realized very early on in my life that if I wanted to achieve the things I wanted to achieve, I it wasn't going to happen for me by waiting for other people to invite me into that project i had to create those opportunities for myself and get people on that journey so even as a young young lad i i I, at school but i was kind of organizing little clubs and things to kind of bring people into my world rather than 
trying to join others where I was already an, an outcast, if you sort of mean. And I, and that mm-hmm. even even when I got to when I got to my sixth form college, I formed a big band there. Um, and I say I quickly realised that if I wanted to do the things I wanted to do, I was going to have to make them happen myself. And all of those kind of things that we've talked about so far sort of um fed into that which ultimately fed into this cue the music project because it taught me leadership and it taught me um it gave me the the drive and the determination uh, and this and the sort of single-mindedness i needed to to go out and make those sorts of things happen now i mean correct me if i'm wrong for what you're saying the obviously your father's a huge influence on you musically uh who else would you say well you know your father and who else would you say has influenced you you know as a performer as a as a trumpeter as a trumpet player i, I thought yeah you you said that off at the last minute because there's i think there's two sort of aspects there's a musician yeah. and there's the trumpet player maybe i'll maybe i'll answer it with both if you like but as a trumpet, absolutely yeah as a trumpet player almost almost wholly um my father as as a child and young performer without a doubt i mean i absolutely idolize his playing and not just the the me talking as his son as uh, you know a, as a complete biased view but you know he was a, a f- fantastic musician an incredible trumpet player he did so many really famous things he he played on the um return of the jedi and he did all the mad max films and interview with the vampire and crawl and um and he worked with john barry a bit as well so there's lots of kind of um of, of great things that i was growing up with at the time you know the bond films and the star wars films stuff that he was involved um with people around that so that that kind of just made me idolize him even more but i think other trumpet players that have influenced me over the years um certainly the great late great Maurice Murphy, who mm-hmm. was the principal trumpet player of the London Symphony Orchestra and, and was the main trumpet player on a lot of the John Williams, uh, Steven Spielberg scores like Jurassic Park and Star Wars in particular. Um, and uh, yeah, he's been a massive influence. And then sort of later on in Morris's career, he became sort of split um, joint principal with a, with a man called Rod Franks. Um, and Rod Franks was a, a huge mentor and um, and friend of mine that, that again sadly passed away a few years ago. At a really, you know, quite a, a, a much younger age than than he than he should have done. Really, he was unfortunately mm. killed in a car accident. But um, another really big influence on me and uh, and just a wonderful player. And I think the only other one I'd mention as a trumpet player was. The, the guy that really took me under his wing as I came to music college, um, a, a man called Paul Beniston, who uh, is, is still to this day the principal trumpet of the London Philharmonic Orchestra and a really good friend of my dad. And um, when I arrived at music college um, very early on, I, I lost my father again, quite a young age, 19 I was. And having had somebody who I idolized and that was my influence as a trumpet player all of my life to suddenly lose that was real shock i think and it could have been easy for me to have lost my way and gone off the rails and and paul beniston really uh took what everything that my dad had kind of created with me as a as a musician and as a player and really polished that off and and uh really 
kind of worked on the areas that I wasn't so good at, which was quite a few. <laughs> uh, and he really <laughs> kind of brought me up to uh, brought me up to speed. And, and when I left music college, I was in such a, a good place, thanks to him, to, to go into my career. Uh, so I owe a great deal to him. Uh, as a musician, more widely, um, always hugely influenced by the orchestral sound, things like Mahler, particularly um, Hulse Planets. I loved that. Um, kind of those really big symphonic sounds. And then always film music, always film music. Probably more mm. John Williams in my earlier days and then John Barry more in kind of my teens and then into my uh, adult life and what everything I've been doing in the last 15, 20 years has been all about John Barry and David Arnold, really. Um, so they're, they're kind of my main influences. And did you ever have concerns about, you know, coming from uh, coming out from, say, your father's shadow for the amazing things he's done? Did that ever concern you? Did that ever pose a problem? Now you're getting some good questions in here. You're going deep because this is not something I ever really talk about a lot in public. And it, yes, it, it has at times, it has at times really affected me. Like it's, oh, it's a, it's just a long answer and I'll try not to rattle on too long about it. But so I think growing up, I didn't have that. When you're a young, when you're a young child, then a, then a, um, a teenager, you're full of confidence, aren't you? You know, mm -hmm. the, the, you are, yeah. You don't have any, I never had any qualms about, um, I, I mean, I did actually, I did have some nerves about playing, but that they kind of went, but I never had any kind of feelings of insecurity about, could I, uh, could I be as good as my dad? Could I step out of his shadow? Um, because I always kind of felt that I would, that would come if I practiced and he carried on developing me. I felt that I could could get there. And then, of course, as I said, I lost him at, at 19. But actually, you know, he had some he'd had some health issues and problems with mm -hmm. alcohol and stuff over the last two years of his life, three years of his life. Um, and so I hadn't really had that guiding influence for a couple of years before. And that really took a uh, took took a shock to me actually it took quite a while for me to my confidence was quite badly affected i think up mm. until then i'd always been the short shining oh it's hard to say this but you know I, I i it's not unfair to say i was kind of the shining um musician in in the um the level that i was at so whether it been the local wind band and then the county wind band and then um when i first went to music college i think you know i i mean i won the trumpet prize at music college and you know my i'd always kind of raised my level to the level that i was playing at and i think that then i'd then taken on, on a level and and probably shone um but i think i i then hit a real a real point where basically that the pressure of being the level that he was at was what sort of contributed to his to his alcoholism and his ultimate ultimately his death and so it it kind of really did hit me quite hard as to whether i wanted mm. to put myself through that and um you know in the end i i moved away from the i mean i did when i left music college i had some some work with the bbc symphony orchestra and the london philharmonic orchestra and i think i could have you know had more of that if i wanted to to do that i think i could have definitely have, have picked up bits and pieces of work of, with freelancing and stuff like that but it was 
it became a, a case of if I wanted to to put myself into that um, that environment. And in the end, I kind of moved away from that London scene and kind of more into the freelance away from that, you know, with cue the music and, and doing my own things. And so and now do I how do I feel about it? I, I feel in some ways I feel that as a trumpet player, I've let the family down. And, and you know, I say that not that it keeps me up at night. It doesn't like I don't. My, my family would be mortified to hear me say that. And I have said it in the past a couple of times then. But, you know, I feel like I didn't fulfill my destiny as a trumpet player. But I think I've more than fulfilled it as a as a musician and as, uh, you know, what I've achieved with Cue the Music. Uh, I know that I, I I've taken it to the absolute maximum that I can. And it's still it's still going. And that has kind of helped me make my peace with the fact that I maybe haven't made it as far as a trumpet player as what he did. Deep answer. So, <laughs> deep answer, but a, a very good answer, very interesting answer to, to see that you, you know, where you had the concerns that maybe you've not pursued the exact path you maybe thought you would be expected of you with regard to being a trumpeter. You have gone on to do something with regard to the trumpet, but also uh, a, a a very big musical thing, and it it leads perfectly to what I wanted to ask you next, which was in a obviously 2004 you formed the group Cue the Music, and it's playing the music from the the James Bond film series. So could you tell me a bit about how this all came about? Uh, how how did you bring this amazing group together? And, where, well, and the name the name is also the thing it's obviously a play <laughs> on the character of q but you know we can i know i've thrown a few things you in one go but no no good yeah it's a good good question so i mean it wasn't always q the music actually i mean initially it was called the bond band and uh, we were the bond band for years it was i think it was about 2013 we had to change it because um eon who owned the james bond rights bless them decided that we couldn't use it anymore um so it was a bit of a panic to kind of come up with an idea. We threw it out to our fan base at the time. And it was actually my mum of all people that came up with the idea of Q that playing on the, um, on the character, obviously Q the music. And it was a clear winner. And I will come back to your other part of your question in a minute, but I think the thing with taking Q the music, we had so many ideas, hundreds and hundreds, and there was lots of kind of humorous one ones like, um, um uh, i well <laughs> i can't really use one because it's been used elsewhere now but and the thing is the thing is if you it's the same with kind of function bands as well if you if you kind of come up with something that's quite blue chip sounding you know quite um you, you know like like my other band which is like a party band is called the london show band and it it carries a bit of gravitas about it. There's sort of two ways you can go with it. You can either go that way or you can go the kind of humorous way. And we had so many humorous suggestions and I'm, I can't think of any now, as I say, and there's one that's being used elsewhere. So I can't name that one, but I think when you're trying to sell something like this, or you're trying to pitch it to people or you're doing private events, everything else, class trumps humor every time. So, if you if you come up with something that's a little bit tongue in cheek and everything, people will think it's some people will take it how it is, but a lot of people I think take it as oh it's all a bit silly. 
Whereas if you come up with something, and, and Cue the Music is a really strong name, and it's obviously a play on the character, but it, in its own right, it's a strong-sounding, professional-sounding name. So um, that was why we went with that. But going back to how it kind of came about, I mean, it was, I guess it was inevitable, really, uh, because, as I said before, I th- I'd had such a affinity with with film music and uh, growing up and all the Bond films, particularly the Roger Moore ones were always playing uh, in my uh, house as, as a child. Although it wasn't really till I left um, home and I was at music college, probably about 18, 19, 20, 21, that I had my own video player and, and TV. And, and I remember one summer or one year ITV played every bond film in sequence from dr no all the way through to i think it would have been like the world is not enough or something at that time and I, every single week i recorded them on video and there were there were some that i really i'd seen maybe in my childhood but wasn't as familiar with and that was the point when i became not only obsessed with the films but also the music and as a mm. A coincidence at music college one of the things i think it may have been to do with the fact they were being played on the tv all the time but the at music college the uh, the artist bar or the the students bar i should say um they had a cd of all the bond themes and it was it was one that just got stuck in the in the in the cd player almost every other day um and so i kind of the more and more i heard the songs just the more i kind of thought wow i just love this music so much why is nobody ever put together a tribute band for it there's tribute bands for the beatles and for abba and all these other artists and and nobody's ever done a tribute artist to the music of a tribute to the music of bond and mm-hmm. so that that just literally came to me one day and i just thought do you know what that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna do that i already had a band the london show band which was like a party band and with some tweaks and expanding it and working on the arrangements and everything else. So I realized that, you know, there was something I could do. Nobody else had done it. Nobody was doing it anywhere in the world. So it was a niche. And not only was it a, a, a niche that we could move into, but my passion and love for Bond and for the Bond music meant that we were going into it with, uh, you know, in the best possible way, because it wasn't, I wasn't like I went to, into it thinking, oh, I'm going to go into it and, and kind of make money out of it or whatever. I went to it thinking this is a space that nobody's in. And I loved it. I just loved the music. I was just so into it at the time. And I thought, well, you know, maybe we can get a few events and do some events where we can go and play, um, you know, and, and, and kind of enhance the event by providing this atmospheric music. And, and that was really how it, it sort of came about. And ha- I mean, the the brilliant thing you said then, it's the fact that you looked at it, and I hear this with an awful lot of people who are performers, people who do podcasts, things of that nature. They always say that if you can find something you love and you can do something you love, it 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 trumps everything else. You know, obviously, you know, oh, yeah. making money from something is a, is a is a nice thing, but if you can take it from the initial step of saying well this you know i'm not going to do this to try and say become a multi-millionaire or very wealthy i'm going to do this because i love it i can bring something to people that they'll enjoy it it's a wonderful thing to be able to do yeah i mean i certainly haven't made much money out of it but it's been but it's been you know what it it, you hit the nail on the head there and i i was talking about this on a video i did the other day and 
the, the the buzz the feeling that you get when people come out of our shows and we always do like a meet and greet afterwards and and partly it's a big part of that is to thank people for coming i mean to start with when we first started doing the theater shows i, I couldn't believe that people were actually coming to the show and i i mean you stand there and just say thank you so much for coming <laughs> but now it's also it's just amazing because you get to kind of see the reactions of people and and that's like a drug you know you you because i'm like at heart as i always say i'm a i'm a bond fan like everybody else that's going and if i was in the audience myself taking aside the fact that obviously something that i've created and and it's our show i would have the same reaction because i can step i can step out of it and i still appreciate you know the, the the music and everything else so um to see other people coming out and have the reaction that i'd want them to have and that i'd want to have if i was in there myself like i like you know i know that i've hit every i pressed every button that i want to press on them that if i was going that's the buttons i'd want to have pushed you know what i mean so mm. when when i see people come out and, and see that reaction it's it's just a feeling that just can't be replicated i, I imagine it's how footballers describe scoring a goal you know it's it, it's just something that you you can't even put words on it. it it properly gives you chills the hairs in the back of your neck go up and you know i get I, I actually get a lump in my throat and i actually quite often have to really chew on my lip when people come up and you can see the emotion in their face and they're saying oh my god you know this is just one of the best concerts i've been to blah, blah. and it's yeah that 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 feeling is just is just unbelievable and it, it's like a drug you obviously tell me about how you uh, came up with the idea, uh, the, the genesis uh, of, the, of the the band. But I always wondered, how do you go about finding all your different members uh, for a mm-hmm. band? I'm not a musical person, you see. So whenever you hear about groups that they formed, I know they, they can say put adverts and things, but how did you do it for the for Q of the Music? How did you bring everyone together? Well, I mean, as we've been going 16 years, so the number of musicians we've used is in the hundreds now. And mm-hmm. apart from apart from Kerry, the main vocalist, she's been there since the start. And I, I think the the kind of life of the band is very much connected to to her and, and myself. And, and it, you know, mm-hmm. Cue the Music has never done a show without her. And, and, you know, if she left tomorrow, I think probably that would be the end of the show. I mean, it's so synonymous with her sound and 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 actually later on and this wasn't the same with the start but i think also with matt the male vocalist that that obviously is a big part of it as well he's because he's fantastic and what he brings to the show is absolutely brilliant but uh, to start with it was it was a case of using the contacts that i had and cherry picking um the best musicians for each of the roles within the band and and that's been a process that i've used all the way through really as people have kind of moved on or um you know there's there obviously with anything like this there's the odd falling out nothing really that bad not nothing that's like really you know scandalous or anything else but you know when you with when you're working week in week out with with people over years there does come a point when it's time to freshen things up and that that's even happened in in quite recently actually where i just had to sort of say to somebody look I've, you know i love you to bits there's no issues or anything like that i just feel that we need to freshen things up to kind of keep everybody um you know keep everybody enthusiastic and fresh and keep the, the audience seeing something new um 
but then finding new people is is just really a case of looking around and and cherry picking the best talent and i've always been really really good at that i mean i can i can tell within a couple of bars of listening and watching somebody play whether they'd be suitable for cue the music generally speaking you know i know it's a certain level of energy and also it's it's just an attention to detail it's finding people that are that are going to really really cross every t and dot every i because we have had people in over the years that are fantastic musicians fantastic musicians um but underestimate how difficult the bond catalog is because it covers so many genres and styles you can't specialize in one area you can't be like just a phenomenal jazzer or you can't be a phenomenal um, classical pianist or you can't be a phenomenal screamer trumpet player you've got to be a a combination of of everything and be able to turn your hand to all the different genres that the bomb music has covered everything from big band swing through the pop era rock era you know up to the up to the modern present day so there's so many sort of um parts you have to be able to cover so it's sort of been down to me to sort of get out there and find the right people and i'm and i'm at the position now where you know i'm really lucky that in the sort of main first choice band i've got people across the board where i think wow i don't think i could improve on you that you know you are just perfect for this band but i've also i've in every single position i've got kind of two or three or even four people that are able to do that and come in uh, which is important because all of these guys are, are busy with some of the top orchestras and bands west end shows artists in the country and in the world you know i mean one of my guitarists has been doing a world tour with joss stone so he's not available for every show and my, my mm-hmm. keyboard players has been doing a world tour with Susie quattro so he's not available for every show so adaptability is definitely the key and having a, a good pool of musicians that that are the right caliber for key the music has been a big part of that and have you ever had any odd situations or sort of, I mean, I, I looked at it as like funny situations, how you found people, so it, where it's been an unexpected way that someone's appeared on your radar? Oh, oh God, yeah, loads, loads of them. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I mean, one of my one of my favourite uh, stories of, of people that I found for the show was I was uh, doing a bit of moonlighting for a couple of years where I was doing sound engineering and I did it actually to pay for all the um expensive sound equipment i got for cue the music to kind of pay for it i was on the side i was going out and working as a sound engineer for other bands and it was a great way of of networking and meeting other musicians because i was working with lots and lots of different bands and i'd go along and most of the time i'd see the bands i think there's nobody there that that that's uh that would be for me suitable for cue the music but now and again i'd maybe find a a bass player or a trumpet player or some of that and you think wow that they've got everything i'm looking for and that happened with the keyboard player actually and um jez who's my sort of main keyboard player is just absolutely incredible he's the guy that that's doing Susie quattro actually and he also does um uh, another band called odyssey i don't know if you remember odyssey from the 80s he had a couple of the big hits he's been doing touring with them but um so i was sort of stood on his side of the band and he was shoveling in keyboard parts and he was putting in brass 
parts as well because the, there was no brass section in this band so he was kind of with one hand kind of putting in all the brass parts with the other hand he was kind of just comping along with the piano and then every now and again the singer would kind of look over and point to him and say oh solo and off he'd go with this sort of amazing improvised solo and i just stood there with my jaw open thinking wow this guy is just amazing and i got his number and i rang him the next morning i could still remember i was walking my dog i can remember the place i was and everything and i and i spoke to him and i said look i was just so blown away with what you did last night i want to i want to offer you the position as my main keyboard player in everything that i ever do for the rest of my life i want you to be my main keyboard player and he's like yeah yeah and i told him you know, obviously he loved he loved bond he was he was in he was definitely up for it and uh and then just to kind of just to kind of caveat that with a great little extra bit of story so the next thing that we had was like a the first theatre show, which was about, I think it was about four or five weeks away. And I sent him all the music and I said, you know, we look forward to seeing you there. If you've got any questions, give me a shout. And I didn't hear from him at all. And it got to about a week before the show and I'd not heard anything. And then you start thinking, have I made a mistake here? You know, I mean, it's like, is, is mm. it going to be, is it going to be as good as I remember and everything else? And just as I started thinking that, the phone rang and I picked it up and he said, oh, hi, Warren, it's Jez. You know, I'm really looking forward to next week, to the first show. He said, I just wondered if you've got about half an hour. I'd just like to go through a few things with you. I was like, yeah, absolutely no problem. And he said, oh, you, you know, in, in Diamonds Are Forever, in bar 62, on the third beat, on the second quaver in that bar, you've got a, a, this note here. And he said, I think it should be this note. And I was like, yes i've got the right guy <laughs> attention to detail it's yeah. always wonderful when someone yeah. shows that <laughs> yeah so that's you know that's a great example of you know the sort of caliber that 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 we have and that i'm looking for you know i've always wondered because i'm i'm not you know obviously i love listening to music but i'm not a musical person uh and i've i always harken back to uh something i once saw when they were doing the uh they they were looking at doing the the, the ABBA musical uh, that came out, uh, yeah. and they said one of the problems they had is that Ben and Bjorn didn't write anything down, so they had to basically when the people worked them to put Mamma Mia together, they had to sort of dissect all the old stuff they'd done from recording. So my question to you is, when it comes to putting together a show, when it comes to you know getting all the little parts together from uh bond the, the music of bond how do you get around doing that how do you prepare for dissecting putting it all together well you re- reverse engineering basically isn't it i mean it's yeah i it's been many years of transcriptions i mean i the first um two years of this project really was was getting the music down and and really trying to get it as close as i could and i've got better at it over the years so those first two years was a, a bit of a steep learning curve for me doing that to, to the level that we were doing it at and the detail that I was trying to achieve. And I think at the time as well, um, and I, I kind of feel like maybe I, I don't mean this as much as I do, but I, I at the time I maybe didn't put as much attention as I do now, because I don't think I realized how successful it was going to be. And I think at the time, we were going to be playing to people that were you know, casual Bond fans, you know, but knew the music, knew a few tunes, whatever. And that was kind of where it really initially was kind of going out and being used. It was only because of the popularity of the online videos and stuff that we started to get sort of notoriety amongst 
the bond community and then you start to think well actually now i've really got to go in and and when you peel back the layers of cue the music now the level of detail is is almost imperceptible when you listen to it um as a whole you know it's i we we have a patreon scheme where um people can get the latest recordings uh, and and what have you of cue the music that they can't get anywhere else and but the patrons get loads of bonus content and part of that is they get sort of isolated audio so they can hear the individual instruments uh, on the recording from these live recordings as well so it, it's waltz and all luckily there's not too many waltz but it's a waltz and all <laughs> recording and um and i also do a commentary track as well and i exp- i break it down and explain all the little nuances that go into every single piece that we do and i think people are genuinely really quite blown away that that the level that's underneath the layers that you don't hear when you're just listening to the overall performance. And it's, it is that attention to detail, which is so important. And that is very, very, very time consuming. Um, and it really does. You really have to do it for the love. You can't just do it as a, um, a sort of financial venture or a business venture because it just wouldn't be viable, you know, to, to the amount of time that you put in for the output in terms of or the recompense you get financially. It just wouldn't be worth your while. So, um, you know, that that kind of that's where I'm kind of at with it. And so, yeah, to kind of circle it round to give you a sort of more direct answer, it's just a case of taking the tune whichever one that we're working on and now we're kind of adding more cues from the films but taking that cue and transcribing it spending a lot of time getting that detail down um you know i'll i'll work on the arrangement or one of my um guys who helps me the arrangements will will work on the arrangement and then we'll get it out to the individual musicians and make sure that they really put their stamp on it and really get into their own part and then we bring it all together on the shows so it's uh it's a time-consuming um process um but it's an enjoyable one and it and it's key that everybody in the band loves what they're doing with it otherwise uh you just wouldn't get that that level that we we hopefully um achieve well it's it i mean to me as someone who's seen you perform i can see that all you well everybody loves what they're doing and as you said yeah, it's a it's a key thing to see and it's a wonderful thing to see people are really passionate and love what they're doing um yeah. i'm i'm going to ask not to i think they always say about knowing how the sausage is made but not not spoiling do you ever have like a specific warm-up piece you like to play or does it does uh, the warm-up piece change or is it always the same thing i don't know that we have a yeah we do i guess we do actually but i don't think it's anything by design or anything like that but generally speaking when we sound check i always sound check the james bond theme first so we will that's always the first thing we play um it gives everyone a chance to get their in-ear monitoring kind of sorted out then there's no vocals yet so the good thing about that is it gives the band chance to sort out their own sound and then you can sort of layer that up and in fact before we even go to the james bond theme i usually get the rhythm section to just to just do like a just a rock an improvised rock groove in e just the rhythm section mm-hmm. and then they sort out their balance in between them so they've got their in him in is sorted and the sound engineer can kind of just check the levels of the rhythm section and then we do the james bond theme to bring in the brass and kind of um just cement that uh levels in the rhythm section and then from there we'll start adding in vocals so 
um i mean we we used to quite often just because it's the the first songs in the set we do from russia with love with matt as the male Mm -hmm. warm-up and then goldfinger with kerry is the female um warm-up but actually between kerry and i we we sort of realized after about 15 years of doing that that it probably wasn't the best thing to warm up with because it's it actually is quite a a tough number particularly at the end with the high (laughs) note you know so now we try and maybe warm up with something a bit more gentle for her like you only live twice or an all-time high (laughs) or something that 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 doesn't uh put us straight onto um uh, into fifth gear but you know as as flat out from the from the start line you know so now we try and warm up a little bit but yeah that's probably the process that we use on the sound checks well it's always better isn't it to not go from naught to 100 and to <laughs> take things a little more gradually when you're yeah. dealing with sort of yeah. something like that yeah absolutely now, uh, I was I was one of the people who was lucky enough, uh, and it's when I actually got in contact with you to see a video that Q the Music Group did at Piz Gloria, which is obviously one of the locations used and one of the major locations used in the film on a Majesty's Secret Service. How did that all come about for you to be able to perform at that wonderful location and event? Well, it you know what it it, it feels like the journey of Q the Music was all leading towards that that moment really. Um, uh, and that and actually playing at, at uh, Roger Moore's memorial, which I, which I think you might cover later on. But the 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 Honor Secret Service 50th event became about really going back five years, starting out with um, a, a really fantastic chap, a really good friend and uh, somebody from the Bond series who's been involved. And there's a, a man by the name of Terry Bamba. And he worked on seven of the Bond films, starting out as like a, a runner, but then working his way up to production manager. And um, uh, right up to, I think the last film he worked on was Skyfall. And he he's just a huge fan of John Barry and the music of Bond. And he came along to one of our first theatre shows. And it's amazing, really, because we've got so much better since then but he was just one of our sort of really big champions from the word go and really got behind the show and has, has been so kind and and so supportive over the years you know just uh, we wouldn't just wouldn't be where we are without without terry and one of the recommendations that he made was to another guy who's been hugely influential now over the last few years a guy called martin Mulder, and martin mm-hmm. Uh, chap that hails from from the Netherlands who runs a, a really cool website called On the Tracks of 007. And basically what this club does is they visit filming locations from the Bond films around the world. It is a little bit anarchy and a bit geeky, but it's um, it, it, they're just a really ordinary bunch of people that have got, you know, all, all manner of jobs from really high flying jobs to 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 everything that you can imagine. But they just love their Bond. And actually, um, going and visiting some of these locations where, because, I mean, let's face it, Bond films are always shot in these phenomenally um, exotic locations a lot of the times. And, you know, everything from the Caribbean to America to all over Europe to Asia to all sorts of places all around the world. And so if you've got a if you've got a particular hobby, uh, visiting all these places around the world is, is not a bad one, I would say. Um and they have quite a big following now. And they had a pre, pre-Spectre pre premiere party, the, the last film that was released back in 2015. And the night before they had this party and uh, 
Terry recommended to Martin that we played at it, which we did. So for us, that was a kind of real watershed moment because it put us in front of uh, the the real who's who of the Bond fan community around the world that were all were all in town for this premiere. Um, and once we played there and we we sort of got their seal of approval. Um, things kind of really started opening up for us. We had a, a lot of support from the community then and endorsement from the community, if you like. And then the next kind of big event that they did, uh, well, they did actually do one in Japan, which I was a bit gutted. They didn't ask us about that one. But last year they did the 50th anniversary of Honor Majesty's Secret Service as, a, as an event at His Gloria in Switzerland. And pretty much from the word go, Martin got in contact with me and said look i'd really love cue the music to perform there what do you think i was obviously uh you know slightly enthusiastic about that prospect <laughs> and it, it turned out to be just the most incredible experience the most incredible weekend i've ever had in my life let alone as a, a professional as a musician everything else and cue the music it was i actually get so sad about it when i I think when I look at the photos and I think back to it and I watch the video and everything else, I actually find myself feeling almost sort of in mourning of it because I know that I'm never going to experience another high like that weekend. It was apart from my kids being born. It was the most incredible thing that has ever happened to me in my life. It was just unbelievable. I mean, to be in that iconic location probably the most iconic location of the bond series and george lazenby himself was there at the event and we got to meet him and the the most stunning scenery i mean it was when you're up that high three thousand meters up in the alps it's it's almost otherworldly it's 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 hard to imagine that nature is capable of creating something so beautiful and to be there to perform and the atmosphere and everybody that was there was just just so up for it and so emotional about coming together for this event um yeah it's i've almost run out of words to kind of describe it it's just uh, and every time i talk about it i say that you know that i'm trying to to wax as lyrical as i can about it to really do it justice but it's just not possible you know it's it was just incredible I mean, it's nowhere near the level of what you discussed, but I, I can understand what you mean about the the it's like the emotional longing from what what's previously happened, and you know, sort of like the, it's almost like you, this, you're still having that pinch yourself moment. And I have that to the degree when I meet or interview people who have say actors, actresses, musicians who I remember seeing as a child yeah um you know that their work was sort of integral to my growing up and you kind of looking around it in stages thinking you know am i really meeting these people am i really speaking to them you know it's it's quite a quite a thing but it's a i mean it's a that was an amazing concert and it's absolutely Mm. wonderful that that uh, well thank you for putting it out so people could see it um leading Leading on from that, um, I wanted to ask you, you know, it was 2017, uh, you got to perform at the memorial for Sir Roger Moore. So how did that come about? Yeah, well, again, really going back, the, the Terry Bamber um, connection kind of helped there because he recommended us um, initially to Gareth Owen, who was Roger Moore's really good friend and and uh manager I, I guess you would call him a secretary manager and um gareth came along and saw cue the music at, at one of our theater shows and 
and then they had a bond stars event which was like an annual event which is still doing actually um every year at pinewood studios where again the bond community come together for a very very exclusive um very very special event every year different theme every year and one year i i think gareth and i i can't remember who suggested it but I, but um we sort of the idea came for cue the music to perform at um at this event and went really well we played really well um and then in the in the sort of 12 months following that of course we lost sir roger moore which was just just you know just so tragic for the um for the community because he was he was such a lovely man and you know whether or not he was anyone's favorite bond i think nobody would deny uh what a what a fantastically gracious um kind man he was and how much he embraced being bond like none of the other actors have you know he he's he really loved doing it and long after he left the role uh he still turned up um to do fan events and he still went out and talked about bond and and never got tired of people asking him the same questions and you know and he and he always talked so fondly about bond right up until um he passed away now you Mm -hmm. can't really say that about any of the other actors really um so you know i think that that sort of puts him uh apart in in my mind and so when he when he did pass away gareth owen got in contact with me a week or two after he passed and said i'm i'm already planning some sort of memorial event i'm not quite sure you know when or where how it's going to happen but you know would would you be uh willing for cue the music to perform that's quite yeah <laughs> absolutely um and so that that's kind of how that sort of went from there really and and yeah we ended up playing there playing a couple of couple of pieces from his films um to accompany sort of a photo montage and you know the, there really was the who's who of the of the british film industry um and his friends just a very small intimate uh, intimate event of about 200 people and that we were so lucky and so privileged to be part of and um yeah probably the the biggest honor of my life um to be asked to do that and to to be able to go and pay tribute to someone who was such an influence on my childhood you know was always a roger moore film james bond roger moore film on um in my household so i was really really chuffed to be able to go and give something back as uh as the gift of music in, in a in a it's very small part of it anyway. And it, I mean, it's a it's an absolute wonderful thing that you got to be part of that. Uh, I can only imagine that it's it's obviously something you you'll sort of cherish and carry with you, and that's just oh, a, yeah. it's a it's a wonderful thing that you got to got to do with that. Going back to looking at the at the group, um, you obviously you know we touched on this early, but you have the absolute exceptional. Uh, performers with Kerry uh, Schultz and Matthew Walker. Um, what songs do you think utilise their skills the best? Because I mean, they are just. Uh, when I saw you guys perform, you know, I was like jaw on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it! I love it! I love hearing stuff like that. <laughs> you know, I never tire of hearing people say that. Well, I mean, you know, and I, I stand behind Kerry particularly um and i have the same reaction you know even after 16 years of doing it um you know i still get the same buzz when i see her and hear her perform those songs it's it's chills without a doubt uh, i think the two songs that really shine with her um in sort of second place would be writings on the wall where mm. i 
think we made that decision really early on and it was you know with, with hindsight it was such a the right decision was to to give it to her rather than have the falsetto male vocal um and it just makes it i think it just connects more emotionally and um with the audience um as a as a female song and and you know we always get really good feedback about that song really good feedback and a lot of people who come saying oh, i don't like the song and then they see see kerry doing it and they come away and say oh you know i really love that that performance um but by far and away her her special moment the, the moment of the night is her performance of license to kill that's the one that yeah. takes the roof off yep. each and every time um it just blows everyone out of their seats and it's just purely the the passion and the emotion um that she puts into it you know she sells every single note of it and it's and i say she sells it that's not even a, a fair description because she doesn't sell anything she delivers it from it she just channels the music from her heart from her soul and i think everyone in the room feels that and sees it and experiences it and and she takes you on that on that journey and and i think that that makes that piece ultra special um with matt there's actually he i think he he's just a bit of a genius at everything he turns his hand to because he's he actually in the band he plays percussion He's also a fantastic swing drummer outside. Not something he does in Cuban music, but he but he does it. Um, I've worked with him a lot as a swing drummer. He's fantastic, and he does a lot of the backing vocals. And then when he goes out, steps out front, and does his main vocal, I think he does a brilliant thunderball. And um, when he sort of holds that last note, the the really long, high Tom Jones note. Uh, he, he always kind of holds it a little bit longer than he probably should safely. Um, you know, I always worry that I'm going to have to just nip out and catch him or something. Uh, and of course, famously, Tom Jones, uh, uh, you know, nearly passed out when he did that last note on the on the recording. But I think it's great because they're always I think you always get a real fist pump moment from the audience when he does that. I always feel when we do that song earlier on and he and he sort of holds that note and pulls it off there's always like a, a kind of kind of quite primeval cheer from the audience and i think doing that early on in the show kind of means you straight away you've kind of got everybody on your side because they realize that wow here's a band that's going to put every ounce into this performance so yeah they're, they're the ones well as a viewer as someone who's seen it i, I mean i cannot uh, disagree with you on any of that i remember saying to my mate luke uh, how the hell has he managed that <laughs> Helps, you know <laughs> yeah. how has he pulled that off it was amazing it's the same thing when you see in you know what what kerry did certainly i mean you, what you said about writings on the wall the 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 style of having a, a female do it over a male yeah it's it really does add to it but yeah the whole I mean, on both all the the pieces of music that you know they've sung on that you mentioned wow i mean seriously wow um now you are obviously you know a fan of bond you would not not be a fan you won't be doing what you're doing if you weren't a fan of bond but yeah who <laughs> who is your uh, all-time well what's your all-time favorite bond score and who would your favorite bond composer be well the bond composer one's easier to answer because it's, i mean it's i think you know, you can hold some of the composers that have done the other scores up in really high regard. Like I'm a huge David Arnold fan. I, I absolutely idolize him. He's definitely been a huge influence on me as, as a musician and my career. Um, but you can't 
I don't think you can be a Bond music fan and not recognize John Barry as the maestro. You know, he's he, he led the way. He set the style. He created the sound, created the created a genre all to himself, which is just remarkable, really. Um, and also also uh, was able to kind of um, have the skill of being able to do 11 different scores and mm. create a, a distinctive sound for each of them. And, and each of them have their own flavor um and also incorporate a lot of sounds and and modern styles for the time you know you go through the first use of the moog synthesizer in our magic secret service and right up to his last film the living daylights where he's bringing in more programs drums and things and it you know really incorporating that 80 sound and it works really really well for me still one of his one of his one of his best scores i think one of my favorite scores um so yeah john barry and i mean in terms of scores it's a little bit like asking your favorite bond or your favorite bond film i think it depends on the mood and it depends how recently and often you've played a particular score and if it's maybe you know you you haven't listened to another one for a while and you listen to it and it's fresher and then it's suddenly you 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 get a bit more of a buzz for it but i'm kind of jostling around for my my top spots i think would definitely mm-hmm. would be uh, Thunderball would be one. On a Magic Secret Service would be another. Um, and then probably uh, sort of a, the Living Daylights or a View to a Kill. But I mean, don't don't get me wrong that they they are all interchangeable. There's there's a, there's about five or six others that I could name that really are right up there that I that I listen to a lot and I really enjoy them. Things like Goldfinger and definitely some of the David Arnold ones, the Casino Royale and um Tomorrow Never Dies in particular. Um Moonraker is another one that's really high up. I love Moonraker. So, you know, I've answered with about eight answers there, but um <laughs> probably uh, probably uh, probably overall actually I'll give you an overall answer. I think it's probably Thunderball. When I when I come down to it, I think Thunderball is the one that that really takes me when i put that on i can i can my mind just really goes into all sorts of places you know um it carries me off into a different world with that score i mean for me it's it's one that you mentioned it's always going to be the living daylights for me uh you know so it's the entire album for me is just you know, it's one that I can always put on again and again and again, and I always just love it. Uh, I mean, I have always loved the yeah. work of John Barry. I also really like the work he did on the film called Somewhere in Time, yeah. which has a, a wonderful, you know, score to it as well. So, but yeah, for me, it'll always be the Living Daylight. It's the one yeah. that, uh, that works for me. Um, so the flip side of the coin is, do you have a least favourite? Do you have one that maybe doesn't uh, doesn't work for you? Uh, as well, I think we probably any Bond fan, most Bond fans would give the same answer. I think it's probably Golden Eye. I, I don't think I ever really even play it. Really, um, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's not not even a competition. It's it's definitely Golden Eye for me. Least favorite composer would probably then make him uh, Eric Serra. Um, really, yeah. I mean, that that yeah, it, it's a country mile. Both on both answers, really. Just, I think the, the the only thing that I really loved, I mean, I like the Golden Eye theme, uh, and the one that always sticks in my head is, I always like the the music. They they sort of tried to key up for the gun barrel sequence, but other than that, yeah, you're right. There's not much else that sort of really um, 
runs, you know, sticks in your mind and runs with it, unfortunately. Yeah, it's funny, though, because I think the one thing that kind of gives it a little bit of an emotional connection is that everybody in that sort of era was so hooked on the uh, on the GoldenEye game, you know, the N64 game. <laughs> yeah. and I had it and I and because you played that for years of your life, I mean, literally just so much time spent on that game and so the soundtrack of that obviously is very reminiscent uh, and picks up bits of the golden eye sound so um it, it kind when i watch golden eye i don't it doesn't like repulse me the the way that if i think it would if i didn't have the game all those sort of memories of the games attached to it but um but yeah it's the weakest score for sure i think I think certainly you know, the, uh, on a musical standpoint, and it's a bit of a strange one, but with regard to Goldeneye, one that sticks in my head is that they, they sort of rejigged the Bond theme and used it in the teaser trailer. Um, and yeah. I always, that always still sticks in my head as a really good piece of music that for quite a long time wasn't actually released to the public. And then I think they just stuck it on a, a you know a release of sort of Bond themes and then it's been added on things ever since. But again, I think that something that got you was a hook. I like the way they re, they re, uh, they re-scored that, uh, if that's yeah. the correct terminology. The thing is, though, the trailers are, are never connected to the films in terms of their... their yeah they're not the same composer that does those and that they, they have no connection with the score at mm. all. So, you know, that the fact that you like that is, is, it is funny, but, but it kind of, it doesn't have anything to do with the score. So it's a little Correct. bit like the, the, the uh, trailer for Spectre and we, everyone got really excited because they put little bits of the Unimagined Secret Service in there. Yeah. And I think we all thought, oh my God, this is going to be brilliant. And then actually none of that transferred into the film <laughs> at all. And I think, you know, that that was, if ever there was a, a great example of, of the, the two things being so disconnected and don't take any anything from the trailer music at all, then that was a good example of that. Very, very true. Very true. Um, so who is your favourite Bond you, you mentioned something about the building things can be a bit interchangeable at the time, but do you have an actor that absolutely is your favorite all the time? Or? Yeah, I do. I, I do actually. It's Sean, it is Sean Connery. I mean, I, I really love Daniel Craig and, and actually I'm a huge Piers Brosnan uh, advocate. I mean, I think he blended the various styles of the things that have gone, gone before him, you know, the humor of Moore and the, the sort of suaveness um, of, of Sean Connery. I think he blended it really well. And, and it was around that time when I really got massively into bond. So he was my sort of first major cinematic, uh, bond that I saw. So I do have a big sort of affiliation with, with Pierce Brosnan, but when I really got into bond, um, and I went back and started really getting into the Sean Connery films, he's the one that has cemented himself as, as my firm favorite. And, all these years on I, I really haven't changed my opinion on, on that and what, what is your favorite bond film this is one that is interchangeable for sure but i think when when everything you know when the chips are down and, and everything kind of is settled for a while and i haven't watched a film for a while and everything's sort of fresh i think it would i think it would be casino royale i think as an all-rounder um i, I just absolutely loved that film um, and probably closely followed by um, Thunderball. See, for me, it's 
slightly well it is different it's always going to be my favorite bond will always be timothy dalton because i like the sort of darkness yeah uh, and the, the 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 fact that he went back to the fleming yeah the way fleming wrote him let's see if i get my teeth in uh yeah. and film wise yeah it's always going to be i mentioned it earlier on the score for me uh, for the soundtrack it's going to be living daylights again these are for him for his first bond the whole thing around that it's been the one that's always stood uh shoulders above head and shoulders above everything else uh, well, but i, I always I, sorry go on sorry go on. Well, well i was gonna say you can always find something in every bond film that is enjoyable uh, yeah yeah i mean i've got to i've got to say james i'm i'm with you living daylights and license to kill are, are definitely two of my favorites I, they would definitely be top 10 for me probably kind of in the possibly even the top five or six I, I, those are two films i really really love going back to um so I, i'm a huge fan of those two films so i'm i i wouldn't disagree with you at all for having having them so high excellent <laughs> i mean i always find it interesting that looking at dalton's work uh you know for a while he was kind of a bit uh maligned and now they're sort of saying well actually if you look at what craig has done as bond you can see there's a you know there's a bit of a crossover there in the thing yeah. making a bit more realistic and believable yeah yeah that's right i mean they made no secret of that i mean timothy dalton always said like they wanted to that he didn't want to he wanted to do something different didn't want to do the roger moore thing with it and wanted to kind of go back to the more um uh fleming sort of look at it and i think they really did that but i think it's it's always difficult when you change something as much as they did and yeah. you know you, you whether it's going to be accepted or not and um I think there there are two films in his performances that have gone on to get a lot more acceptance um, <clears> later down the line than perhaps they did at the time. And you are right. It's when you see the big change, it'll be very interesting to see whoever replaces Daniel Craig. Ill, you know, what's it going to be? Is it going to be a massive tonal shift? Mm. Are people going to be able to accept that actor? Which, of, of course, they will do as as the films progress, but there'll always be that moment where you think, well, this isn't quite what we were used to previously. So it's always interesting to see how things things go. Now, one question uh, I am intrigued by for somebody who does live performances, uh, how do you keep your energy levels and enthusiasm up and going when you're performing? Sorry, say that again. How do you keep what's up? Uh, how, how do you keep your energy, oh, energy and, ah, yeah. and enthusiasm going? Do you know, I've, I've never, apart with apart from one event, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, one concert, I've never, ever had that problem. And neither has Kerry um, or any of the people that have been in the show for a long time. I mean, it's we just love what we do. And the minute that that, that Bond theme starts, I think we're all, we're all there, all at the energy that we need. Um it's yeah it's just it's a it's just an absolute love for what we do i mean we we are you know so so lucky to be going out and performing the music we love and it being received in the way it is you know and the way it does get received um i'll never ever ever take that for granted the fact that people spend their hard-earned money to come and see us and uh, you know and say what they do I will never, ever take that for granted because we came from a place and I've had to fight so hard to make the show a success and to and for people to to come and see it and give it a chance. You know, it was a really long struggle to start with. So um, when you've come from that position of, of not only having nothing, but nearly losing everything to kind of try and make it a success, 
and I, I so many times I've put everything on the line to to keep the show going. Now it's a success. I will never ever take for granted any time that someone buys a ticket, let alone the fact that we can sell six, seven, eight hundred tickets sometimes now. Um, but yeah, the only time in our history where I had a problem with that was, funny enough, the very next event or the next show after the Honor Majesty Secret Service 50th anniversary last year, because I was on such a high after that event. And when we came back, and I and and then to be fair, anyone I've spoken to that was at the event has said the same thing. I think we all felt so flat for such a long time, almost in mourning for quite a while mm. afterwards because it was just such an incredible experience an incredible weekend a once in a lifetime thing uh, and i think we all kind of came away thinking wow we're never going to hit that high again you know it's all done and how do we sort of go back to normal life and i and i kind of had this for a little while afterwards for the for a week or two afterwards i had this real feeling that i was never going to be able to top what we'd just done with cue the music and had I made a mistake by not making that the last ever show and going out on that high and, and um, you know, going out of the top kind of thing. And so I stood on the stage at the next show for the whole show thinking I've, I'm uh, like, I just, I just don't want to be here. Like, I just don't feel, I just feel so flat. And, you know, this is just not the same as the last feeling I had on the last show. And maybe it's, maybe I should have packed it in. Um, and it was only kind of by sitting down afterwards and and kind of a few people around me in the community rallying around and saying, you know, you've got to keep it going. And and actually kind of accepting that that was kind of the we I kind of feel like we've had a couple of phases of the show and that was kind of brought to the end of the second phase of the show. And now we're we're in like a third phase of the show where we've set new goals, you know, potentially take the show to the US is one and to do some more, a load more cues and maybe do a whole concert of, um, of, uh, of cues from a particular film, those kind of setting, those kind of goals has given me a whole new lease of life towards it. And has allowed me to make my peace with the fact that that event last year is gone. And now, you know, we need to find the next one. So that's, yeah, that's the only time I think I've had a, a, a doubt where I thought, wow, can I, can I carry it on? How can I find the enthusiasm? Um, but other than that, it's always been sky high. Uh, well, it's, and it's certainly for me as someone who's been there to see you perform, uh, it's certainly something that I see is obviously the real passion and enjoyment you have for it. Um, it was interesting when you talk about the changing uh, of venues. So you've gone from being at something like Piz Gloria uh, to going to a more normal setting. Um, you obviously do, you know, you perform at small and private events as well. So what are the different, what, what opportunities or chances do you find for doing like a, uh, say, a private event to a, to a normal event in, you know, in speech bags? Well, the, the, there's obviously yeah, there's the two parts of our market really there's the the theaters which is something that only came in the last third really of the band's life before that it was all the other part of the business which was the private events which was kind of mainly um either birthdays or um themed parties themed events corporate events so it might be a an awards night or um, a charity event where they want some entertainment 
and it's funny because they they used to be our only real outlet for this but now that we've got these theater shows where we get like a really dedicated hardcore bond following that come and see it and the reaction that you get when we then go and do the private events it's such a debbie downer i mean it really is because you get we 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 end up kind of playing in the corner of a room where all these kind of executives or or guests or or whatever they are they're they're just stood at the other side of the room having drinks and networking and chatting away and stuff and they're not really interested in what we're doing at all and i mean we did an event in monte carlo uh last year an amazing event but literally we didn't get one single applause from one person after numbers you know and you we'd we'd sort of be giving everything and and giving everything as we normally do and get the end of a piece and not one person would even acknowledge it i mean we did get a thumbs up from the prince of of monaco when he left he he came (laughs) up and gave us gave us a thumbs up to the band so that was at least something but but um (laughs) but uh no that's so that i think when we go and do those now it, it is a little bit go we're going to go through the motions a little bit um i hope i'm not putting off anybody potentially that might be booking us for a private event i mean obviously now and again we do get a bond fan that books us for their birthday party or whatever and those are always amazing you know the atmosphere is amazing Pro- probably as as good as anything we've done i mean we did we, we've got a really really great uh, guy who follows the band called peter and he booked us for his birthday about two years ago and it was just an amazing gig like really you know the atmosphere was just electric a small intimate affair where everybody was kind of sat right on top of the band so they were kind of almost in it you know rather than on the theater (laughs) show where you're on a stage and you're just looking out to sort of a black space on those kind of ones you can see the whites in everybody's eyes and you know you get to really see the emotion the emotion that we're bringing out of them so those ones are actually actually brilliant but the yeah the kind of the more dry functional corporate nights where they're just there to serve a purpose they they yeah they can be a bit um demoralizing uh from a uh, from a musical point of view I'm smiling because I have been to similar events, corporate events, where it's been like that. We've got a band giving their all, and unfortunately, you know, you can see that the people are either too drunk, who are some of the yeah. people, <laughs> yes, or just right. not engaged enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to ask, what do you think uh, think of the uh, the Billy Eilish's uh, "No Time to Die" song? Because it's had quite a mixed reaction from people. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, I really, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of hers, and I'm a huge fan of the song. I think the song is a fantastic piece of music. And if it wasn't a Bond song, and if this was this was in her catalogue prior to her releasing her No Time to Die, um, I think we'd be looking listening to it, going, "Wow, you know, she'd be perfect for the Bond song, and th- this would be, you know, this would be this would be a great song." But as a Bond song, I just think it's it just falls short of being a, a nine or a ten out of ten, and it's it's a couple of little things. I think that it lacks a little bit of a of a of an uplifting sort of powerhouse third, um, well, fourth quarter or or third last third of it, where if it if it kind of gone up a gear uh, emotionally, I think it would have um, really sort of resonated more with people than it did. Um, and for me, and I've t- 
talked about this a lot elsewhere, but I, I just think the the bondisms that they put in, particularly the last chord of the piece, the guitar chord, mm-hmm. um, it just kind of uh, sat a bit proud of the rest of the of the rest of the song. You know, it just sort of sticks out a little bit. And from the first time I heard the song to even now, and I know it's coming, it always just kind of feels like someone slapped me around the face. Um, and, uh, and that sort of detracts a little bit from my enjoyment of the song, but I do think it's a, a beautiful piece of music. I think it's a stunning piece of music. I think lyrically it's an absolute masterpiece. I think that the way that, that they phrase those lyrics as well, they just, they just flow so wonderfully. Um, and I think melodically, I actually think it's really nice. And I, I know that it's got a look getting a lot of criticism for being very similar to writings on the wall in terms of its um, feel and its vibe and its, you know, it's just its meter. It, it's the song is, is very similar. And, and I, I do, I do recognize that. And I do think that, that it's a shame that they couldn't have steered it in a, in a bit more of a unique direction, but I, but I am a fan. I think it's brilliant. And the more I hear it and the more I play it, um, the more I come to appreciate it but i think it'll never be more than a a seven or eight out of ten as a bond song for me and is there anything you would alter if it was if you would you know if that was your piece of music just really what i said uh, right at the start of that uh, long summary um just that it i just think it needed to go up another gear uh and yeah. and maybe that's and this isn't a criticism of, of billy eilish but you know maybe that's just not her skill set you know she's got a fantastic mm. voice and she's for me she's a fantastic musician but she's not a belter singer she's not a shirley bassey she's not even um, an adele so she doesn't have that extra gear that we're used to from those sort of um more traditional sounding bond songs and don't get me wrong i don't just want to hear um 50 years of shirley bassey uh you know performances or versions of i'm quite happy to have the variety that we've got in the, the bond catalog which is a huge variety of sound styles singers um performers and performances but i just think that for me emotionally to have just been taken to that level that i wanted to go to that's just the one thing i would have liked i would have changed that just that extra gear mm-hmm. and with regard to the, the music of bond do you think there's any uh, you know missed opportunities when it comes to people that could have performed songs you know who would you in an ideal world who would you like to if someone came to you and said right you get to choose the person who's seen the next bond song or or you know or even go back in time and choose someone singing a bond song is anybody you would particularly have chosen i definitely going back in time there's a few um frank sinatra is one i would have loved to have have done a bond song and i know that he came you know relatively close in terms of that there's you know apparently he recorded a demo for moonraker don't know nobody's ever heard it um i think he would have been a fascinating one to have had uh, i think it's a, a a mystery to me that queen never did one because being so iconically british and mm-hmm. being so top of the game and with the style you know they would have been they would have absolutely smashed that out of the park um especially around the sort of time you know you think well not around time but you know we had the live and let die and mm-hmm. i could imagine them doing something in that kind of vein when, when it would have been amazing um i also think more recently 
I think that Muse would have been absolutely fantastic as well. Um, I know they're they're one that get have been mentioned a lot over the years, and that's a shame that they they didn't do one. And possibly, possibly um, ten years ago, maybe uh, Michael Bublé, but now I'm not so sure actually. I think maybe he's got an amazing voice and amazing style and everything else, but maybe his sound um, a bit too retro, a bit too he's kind of the right artist at the wrong time. Like if, if we'd have had him in the sixties and seventies, he probably would have been um, more appropriate than when he, when he actually would, I mean, you know, fantastic career, but I mean, for a Bond song, um, I think, you know, it would, it, I don't think it would have really worked very well over, you know, a Casino Royale or a Quantum of Solace. So um, I would like to have seen him done it, but maybe with hindsight, maybe not at that time. And who would you consider maybe for the future? I do you know what I, I don't really, I don't really actually often that often look around and think, you know, who's, who's the right person. And I, to be honest with you, I'm not massively um, up to date with what's going on at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I think I, I actually think that Beyonce would have been, she was rumored with this one. I think she would have been brilliant. I, I'm a big fan of hers, but what I was going to go on to say is that I don't really spend too much time looking around at who would be uh, um, good for the Bond film for a Bond song, because ultimately it it doesn't really matter my opinion, because my opinion would be, would be based on who I think would be right musically. And mm-hmm. I think we've seen particularly the last couple, with the last couple of films that it's not about that. It is purely a financial and marketing um, uh, exercise now. And that's, that's, that's how it should be. I mean, it's, you look at what no time to die did the song when it came out, the impact it had worldwide in the mainstream um, music and bringing, bringing the awareness of a bond film to a much, much wider audience it absolutely did the job that it was meant to do. And the bond community, which is like the real diehard bond fans and bond community is really such a tiny part of the market that a bond film has to uh, sell to that our opinion and and what we want is kind of sec. Well, not secondary. It's like (laughs) so far down the list. It's, you know, and and I like, I'm naturally not one of the people that that gets really angry about that. I, I completely understand the business reasons why it is more important to, to market. It's actually from a bond community point of view as well. It's, it's so important. A bond film is successful at the box office and does do really well. Otherwise, if it isn't, we ain't going to have any more of them. So yeah. ultimately, as a Bond fan, that hurts hurts me more. So, you know, the the guys that are behind making decisions have got to make the right marketing and business decisions, haven't they? So, and that's what it's now all about. On a personal note, two artists that I think could have been interesting. I always wonder if Brian Ferry could have done something interesting with the Bond yeah. theme. More recently, um, something like maybe Paloma Faith. Uh, See, I wasn't, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't really too keen when, cause she was rumored around the time of, was it, um, was it writing, was it, uh, uh, Spectre or, or was it the one before, was it Skyfall? I remember her being linked with one of the films. I think it was Spectre, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah. That, that yeah. rings the bell. 
so i did you know i was kind of listening to a few other things but yeah again you see now this is me talking musically and talking as a yeah. mm-hmm. uh, someone that's kind of more um steeped in the older bond sound and i i i know that i make my piece of it but i also i also am able to kind of recognize that i'm a bit backwards thinking and 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 when these new songs come out i can like the billy eilish one i was able to kind of enjoy it and recognize it as a fresh or well say fresh it was similar to the last couple but in terms of the nearly 60 years of bond uh songs it's it's nothing like you know the older songs the ones that that mm-hmm. most of the bond community want another shirley bassey so <laughs> Paloma Faith, when I listen to her voice, I kind of feel like mm, she's not really the sound of a singer that I would want for the new Bond song. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's just my opinion, and and uh, you know I respect yours. She's certainly a, a certainly a, a very famous, very successful, very talented uh, artist. Well, as I always say to people, we were all the same. We all have exactly the same opinions. There'd be no fun. Where you know what? Yeah, would, absolutely. What would ha- The world would just grind to a halt and be of no interest. Going back, looking at obviously you know cue the the cue the, the music uh, work you do. One of the things that absolutely blew me away, and it sets you so apart from other groups, is you actually have got actors and. You know, who've been involved in the series working with you uh, as mm-hmm. compares for, for for what you're doing on the evening how have you pulled that off how how do you get how do you get it to happen because it's it's such i mean that's a big thing that you managed to be able to do yeah so well we so we work with madeline smith who was miss caruso in uh, live and let die and caroline munro who was naomi in the spy who loved me and then um further down the line um we had Caroline Bliss join us who played Money Penny in the Living Daylights and License to Kill. And it kind of just happened organically over a period of time, really, because uh, Madeline Smith and Caroline Munro both first um, heard us and saw us at uh, the Bond Stars event that we played probably back in probably around about 2015, 2016, I think. Um, and they both absolutely loved the show. I mean, Maddie was in tears, you know, with really moved her emotionally. Caroline just had a wonderful time. And um, yeah, I got chatting to them a little bit after the show and, you know, we, we hit it off. And then when we did sort of um, shows uh, fairly soon after we did, we did a theater show and I invited both of them to come and I said, look, I got there, I had their email addresses and I said, look, um, I'll get you tickets. You know, if you want to come and see the show, come along. I won't tell anyone you're coming, so you can just come incognito and just have a night out, um, which is really hard actually to keep that a secret when I knew they were coming. Um, <laughs> but but I did, and then they and then they actually start. I mean, Maddie started turning up to shows like uninvited, which which I mean that in a nice way, you know, is unbelievable. Yes. Like you, you don't suddenly find out that she just turned up because she wanted to come and see the show, and that was mind blowing to me. At the, That's at brilliant. The time. You know what a yeah, what a seal of a, of approval. And you know, we we just we start to become really close. Uh, Maddie and I and Caroline and I became really really good friends, and they became really supportive of the show. Really loved what we were doing. Just just really. Um, yeah just became big supporters and it became sort of a natural progression to do something together and when i sort of suggested look what about um next year on the next on the next year's tour that we're about to do what about if if we sort of um flip it between the two of you but if you 
come along and compare the shows and to start with both are really sort of hesitant about doing it it wasn't mm. something they'd done before and they you know sort of unsure about it but they they both uh, and uh, later caroline bliss as well they've all just taking it um like dr water and i mean i mean caroline bliss you know it's less of a thing for her she's she's more of that classically trained actress mm-hmm. um yeah. and done a lot more sort of of that sort of thing but all three of them have just been absolutely amazing and they're just lovely lovely people um and you know i mean they're all close friends i mean maddie's almost like an adopted aunt really to me mm-hmm. you know um just just so lucky to work with them and as you say the they bring so much to the to the show in terms of authenticity and and for people coming along to 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 be able to hear from someone that actually is a part of that fabric a part of that history uh, is just something that i think people really love to be able to sort of hear them share their stories about experiences of working on the series I mean, I, I, I totally agree. It's an absolute wonderful thing, and it adds just that extra little bit that makes the scene cue the music so special uh, to see them, you know, bringing their stories to it, as you, you know, as you were saying as well. Um, how interesting, is there anyone else you'd like to sort of work with as a compare, if anyone was ever interested in joining you? I think this is one of the things that we, we sort of look at every year when we're looking at you know whether we change anything or i think we found we found three people that we love working with first and foremost Mm -hmm. and i think they're at about the level where everything kind of lines up because i think you know there's there's probably um people that have played smaller roles in the series that would jump at the chance to come and do it and that i know you know they're great people or whatever but i think the thing is with the three ladies that we've got is that they are all really well known. And actually, mm-hmm. if you've kind of got to say to somebody, oh, that's the person that played that scene. Do you remember? And they look, they were wearing, you know what I mean? If you've got to describe who they are, what they did or whatever, then you've kind of defeated the, uh, that's kind of defeats the object of having them there. They need to stand on their own. And all three of those do stand on their own as, as known um people from the series and really well known and i think but i think you also then have people that are just unobtainable for a variety of reasons in terms of age and cost and location and um probably also just the fact that they're just too big um you know i mean if if i could get somebody like jean cleese or um or, or maud adams or you know some of those other ones that that maybe ones that i would i think could work but realistically mm-hmm. they just Maud Adams is in America she's not going to come over and do it John Cleese is too busy you know what I mean so I'm, I'm really happy with where we are and probably not there isn't really anyone that sort of ticks all the boxes like they do uh that would work but you never know you never know what's going to sort of turn up on the on the radar I think one of the other ones I would love to do is Fiona Fullerton but she's yeah. um she's not really uh when we approached her she's sort of busy with other projects and um didn't really um want to do that so maybe that will change in the future but she'd be one i'd love to have uh, on board um and i i think another one i would love to have on board is samantha bond but i think again she's probably too busy she's still very very active as an actress mm-hmm. so um that's probably why that one wouldn't work but you've got the absolutely wonderful compares oh, amazing. with you absolutely yeah. wonderful and three people that i'm lucky to count as really good friends as well which is always so important 
you can't ask for anything else, can you at all? Yeah. Really, you can't ask for anything else at all. I'm going to ask you two sort of questions for that that hold on to you uh, personally, which are outside the music of Bond. Uh, what sort of music do you enjoy listening to? Um, a bit of a, a mixture of things, really. Uh, I'm I'm probably quite old school in that I, I grew up around classical music, so. There's about five or ten percent of classical music which I just absolutely love. Things like you know, the planets and the Mahler symphonies and stuff. So mm-hmm. now and again, you'll you'll catch me listening to that that sort of thing. And then um, probably kind of sort of more pop and soul stuff from the 70s and 80s era um, is, is kind of my main go-to stuff. And then generally, it's all film music. I'm I love all the particularly love all the John Williams stuff. Big fan of Horner. Um, uh, Bernstein, Elmer Bernstein, um, and some actually some just other things pop in my head. I mean, I love West Side Story. Um, so yeah, kind of a bit of a, a mixture of things. Um, and I generally have to say when I when I'm in the car, when I'm out and about, when I'm putting things on my headphones, it'll either be a podcast, either football or, or James Bond podcasts, or it'll probably be a James Bond soundtrack. So I don't leave too much time for other things to kind of make their way into my uh, playlist. I have to be honest, but so it probably falls mainly in the podcasting and, and bond soundtrack category alongside the other bits I mentioned. You're very much a man after my own heart and those mm. things. Then definitely. Um, with regard to, I've always been curious for somebody who, who is a performer. So if you could have performed on any piece of music, uh, of any time of any genre what would it have been um i think i would have i think if i could i would definitely want to have played on a bond soundtrack and i actually don't really mind which one but i probably would go with either a thunderball or a moonraker i think but i mean to be just to just to, to played on a bond soundtrack would be absolutely amazing um yeah, I think that probably would have been probably my answer, really. Yeah, uh, as for everything that I've done in my life, and especially in the last sort of 16 years with Cuny Music, it would have to be a Bond soundtrack. Well, I would say for that, you know, never say never to it. I think, you know, I, if there's anyone who could do it, Warren, I think you are the yeah. person who could do it. I honestly do. Um, so what I want to talk to you about, obviously, is the fact that with the situation of COVID-19, the impact it's had on cue the music and talking about you know any any future promotions what you want to say about uh, moving the group forward well it's it's like everybody else it's it's just devastated um everything really um you know and it's I, i've talked i've had to sort of go cap in hand to our fan base and ask for help really because it's kind of left us teetering on the brink of of going out of business and we were in a the strongest position that we'd ever been in at the start of this year. Um, we had a good 2019 um, and, and having been in, in lots of difficulties over the years, the, the show has sort of never been in, in a better position. And we had our biggest tour ever lined up in 2020 with like 28 shows or something like that. I mean, nobody in the history of performing bond, nobody has done uh, a, no one company has done a bigger tour as many bond concerts within a year as what we were what we were planning and it came 
two dates into the tour and, and basically just completely wrote off the next three months of the tour for definite. Everything got cancelled or postponed. And I think this is going to extend potentially for the rest of this year. I think we're probably going to lose a lot of our dates for this year. And of course, the, the real difficulty with that was that I'd already spent a lot of money, thousands of pounds on advertising and promoting the run of shows. Um, you know, we'd taken out some national mag magazine adverts uh, we'd taken out some uh, really big hitting uh, internet uh, reach adverts We've done a lot of facebook advertising and although obviously that would have promotion would have carried on um we've lost the sort of working capital that would have been coming in over those sort of months that would have then put money back into the bank account to then go and and have money to push the show again so it's just decimated um us financially and there's the difficult thing is that when the government and this is not going to become a political thing, I promise, mm-hmm. but when the government initially came out uh, in this crisis, I'm, I'm sure I remember them saying we're not going to leave anyone behind. You know, we shouldn't lose any businesses over this through no fault of your own. But the reality is with the measures that they've introduced, none of it applies to us. We don't we're we're a touring show. And although we are a limited company, we don't have business rates because we don't have um a, a premises so we don't get any rates relief we don't get any grant um we don't get it we're not entitled to any of the furlough uh, scheme the arts council have announced a, a load of funding but um we're not eligible for that the um the loan scheme if anybody's looked into that is from what i'm told and what i've seen is is just a joke i mean it's 40 percent interest and you'd have to put your house, your own personal you know house up or whatever as collateral which is not something I, that i really in a position to do um so it, it's a really really difficult time really really difficult time and it i how we're going to come through it i i think we will be okay just about because we've got such fantastic support from the bond community and people are really even as we speak people are rallying around and and chipping into sort of fundraising that we're doing but um it's always difficult to come on a podcast when it's a, a new audience and and go straight into a new audience and say hi we're kidding the music we played music of james bond can you give us some money um really really difficult to do because I think the first thing that people have to do is is buy into what we're doing on a on an emotional level and, a, and an enjoyment level. So to anyone listening, the very first thing that I would recommend doing is just going and checking us out, um, having a listen on YouTube. And we've got so many uh, tracks on YouTube. There's probably about 40 or 50 uh, tracks of us playing on YouTube. Uh, and, and if you want a kind of shortcut to that, if you go to the Cue the Music Show website, which is q is in the letter q q the music show.com and click on videos um you get a whole list of all the the songs and the cues from the films that that we've ever done and we do much more than just the theme tunes we do um some of the chase music we do some of the rejected themes some of the themes that are used within kind of source music within the film and some of the cues that are used over the end credits um some of the songs anyway as well so there's absolutely tons and tons if you're a Bond fan um, to go and check out. And then if you really believe in what we're doing and you really want to support it, there's a, a number of ways that, that you can do that. We have a, a fantastic Patreon scheme um, where you pay like a monthly subscription, which starts from four pounds a month, which is the cost of a of a coffee. 
and you get a new track download to download every month and that comes with the mp3 a wav file which is high res you get a video of us performing it and you get a commentary talking about how we do it and and sort of a sort of really in-depth description of how we've achieved the sound that we did for that song so that's that's probably the a good starting point and i mean thank you for for explaining uh how we can you know how obviously people can go and look at what you do and i would strongly urge anybody and everybody who has an interest in not even just bond but interest in you know extremely well put together and perform music to to really have a look at what you know cue the music and warren is doing and to donate to them and also to look at booking and seeing them for any future shows um and on that note i would just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me warren it's been it's been absolute i mean for me it's been it's been wonderful hearing about what you're doing uh and how things are put together uh and all i can say is i wish you all the best for the future and thank you so much and i again would strongly urge anyone uh to go and have a look at cue the music and listen to the brilliant music they put together and do what they can to help thank you very very much for having me on it's been really enjoyable and uh you've really delved deeply actually uh, um a lot more deeply than than normal so it's been good to um to cover some new ground actually it's been great thank you very much for for your support and for having me on been an absolute pleasure thank you <laughs>